Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. That's been that's the one that a lot of us grew up on. There was a point in time where there was just you know a very condensed uh, matter, like super condensed, like super 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 condensed, trillions of tons of matter condensed in to some finite point. At some point, we don't know where that matter came from, but at some point it went, and so from that point on, it's been steadily expanding outwards. You know. Uh, uh, still going forward into into what um, <laughs> it, it's hard to define what that is the ether or whatever what 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 did the matter expand into I mean there's all kinds of theories about that even but so even today this this model this Big Bang theory the the universe is moving outwards at a certain pace a certain a certain um, speed. But that's not particularly anti-God. No, that no, just it's not. It's an expanding universe. No, it could. God could have done that for sure. That's not. That's not anti-God. And, 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 and theologians, Christian theologians, Muslim theologians, uh, Jewish theologians, they've tried to uh, integrate this model with their views and tried to make it well. Obviously, it had. As Don said, this view said there was a start in Genesis. That there was a beginning, right? And so it's not necessarily anti. Uh, Christian or anti-biblical, but we'll get into that a little bit. So the Big Bang theory is started something started. We don't know what the mechanism was, but and and, and so it expanded and, and all the matters. But but over over the over the eons, the matter coalesced into gases or or you know then then more thicker forms of matter or more dense forms of matter, uh, planets, suns. Etc. Etc. Start formed over the billions of the, in this view. It's usually 13.8 billion years. The universe's existence are up to 14 billion. Plenty of time for the matter to expand and then contract into planets and stars and comets and you know the stars exploded. You know stardust out there, carbon everywhere. So, but what other what other ideas out there about about universe or another view that really God is entirely the Apart from the universe, but the, the universe is God. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of a, a pantheism. Pantheism. Yeah. yeah. We, we we read about that. So uh, uh, some of the Eastern religions, with as, as Groom said, are pantheistic in nature. That you and I uh, ultimately aren't individuals. We are ultimately part of the universe. This is a this is a our sense of reality is a um, an illusion. And coming to salvation is getting over the illusion that we are distinct from the universe, kind of a deal. So the pantheism, and I've, I've heard uh, pantheism, that God is the universe, the universe is God, but I've also heard of panentheism, that the, the, that uh, <laughs> that somehow the the universe is in God, and God is still somehow distinct, but but not really. <laughs> so there's that. What other, what other origin theories have you heard? A theistic evolution. Okay, yeah, we'll talk about theistic evolution. That that, that God uh, God created the universe. He created all the matter. He created everything. 
but uh, at some point, uh, he, after he started it off, he stepped away, and evolution took over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so not too much different from deism. You read about that in the book. Deism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, what, what's what's uh, if you read, if you watch many movies these days? What's the big the big one go around uh, going around that Hollywood's really taken over? Like a multiverse. Multiverse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And and this one I, I I've tried to read on it. <laughs> and uh, honestly, it's been a little while since I've I've looked at it, but um, and and you can do an internet search, and there's all kinds of pictures out there. But uh, what one idea. Uh, is is this thing that okay so the universe is expanding um, outwards and maybe maybe uh, there's certain points of our universe that uh, picture picture the universe here maybe there's a certain point where part part of the expanding creation gets pinched off from this universe but the expansion of this part of our universe is going out still, somehow. Um, and so there's these bubbles, <laughs> perhaps, one way of looking at it, that are going out. And so, uh, like in the Marvel movies right now, uh, there's all kinds of, uh, like um, Spider-Man has three different versions of himself. Because Spider-Man is living here and here and here, but they're they're all different emanate. They're all, they're all different, even though the, the quantum physics of it is, you can be in one place, you can be here, but in another place at the same time. So you can be in this universe or that universe simultaneously, and somehow you're you're integrated, but you're different. <laughs> you're a particle and a wave. Uh, Unfortunately, I, they call most of that science fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Hollywood's loving it right now. They're making a lot of money on it. Yeah, yeah I, I had to look this one up. Another one is the oscillating universe. There's a big bang here. You know, the universe started as we talked about. So it's going out, but at some at some point, as it expands, it just keeps expanding. But at some point. Um, you know, it, it starts to contract. Gravity takes control, and, and so it gets smaller, and it contracts again into a very small. So, so very at the beginning, very dense matter. Matter is eternal in some fashion. It expands, big bang, and it contracts. Gravity, natural forces take over, and it contracts. A big crunch is what they call it. And so there's this series of, you know, big bang, big contraction, and then crunch. And so we're, we might be part of thousands or millions of universes that have been crunched down, crunched down. That's, that, that's what's out there. And, and um, so we're, we're in a wild, the wild, wild west in many ways. And, and uh, like, like Mark said, uh, some scientists look at this as fiction. And uh, other scientists are like, well, I think the... I think it's possible, <laughs> kind of ideas. And so it's it's. Gruda uh, uh, mentioned mentioned that life. Uh, there's the the Darwinistic uh, theory that we read about in, in Grudem's book. Uh, some scientists they they they're so frustrated by that model, and it seems so limiting that uh, <coughs> that life was deposited here from another planet. 
life came on an asteroid, life came on a uh, you know, comet or something, it crashed into the Earth and spread that way. And uh, yeah. so that's in movies too, and books too. And, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> when you start thinking about, along those lines, I, I start looking at the Bible and saying, Makes a lot of sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, the statement out of nothing means that God didn't use any pre previous existing material when he created the universe. Why is this an important part of Grudem's definition? Because, isn't that because he made the material, he created everything? Yes. He, out of nothing? Yeah, out of nothing. Okay, so everything it is, he made. Right. He was the beginning of everything. He was the beginning of everything. Uh, why does why, why Grudem emphasize this? Why, what's the importance of it? It shows his glory. Okay, it, it, it lends to his character and his identity. Mm -hmm. That is, is what so Grudem gets at. Part of what Grudem brings up, for sure. It's like the, the, the spiritual becomes physical. You know, he created physical things. So, you know, a lot of people have trouble with God is not observable. You know, but yet, God shows his glory in his creation. Mm -hmm. He sure does. And, and so, and to that point, to what you know, these guys are saying here, if matter was eternal, that's going to take away from God's glory. Mm -hmm. It's going to make make something equal with God. God is not God is not uh, um, independent. As he's not as Grudem says it better than I can. Um, I can find that. Well, it just creates all kinds of logical problems. Sometimes I have trouble thinking logically, but if, if, if it was already there when God, quote, created, then it was either there before God, or it was already there at least when God created it, then um, it just creates all kinds of problems, just simply logically. Yeah, it could turn into a dualism where matter's one eternal thing and God's one eternal thing, and so they're equal powers. Yeah. It, it, and it says that something something is is not created by God. That means God is not sovereign over everything. Right. Yeah. God's not in control of everything. Carl, Carl Sagan expressed it very well in that series on TV that was on for so long. It, it started, and I was just young, I think, when this was on TV, but it always started out with the saying, the cosmos is all there was, all there is, and all there ever will be. Yeah. That was the statement. So that's a... That's a, that that's took a, the place a, of God. Hmm? It took the place of God. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So if, if, if matter is, is not created, if it's eternal, or if God didn't create it, then we can worship something else other than God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, from the Christian's perspective, the you're worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Yeah, that's it. Nancy? Everything's dependent on him for its existence and functioning. That's so nice. no matter what it is, it's yeah. dependent on him. That's right. So um, uh, a worldview that says that matter was, that everything wasn't created by God, um, it says that uh, there's things that aren't dependent on God. Mm -hmm. 
And that's, a, that's conflicting with the, the scripture. Uh, on the bottom of page 340, the second paragraph in the bottom, this reminds us that God rules over all the universe and that nothing in creation is to be worshipped instead of or in addition, or in addition to God. However, we are, were we to deny creation out of nothing, we have to say that some matter has always existed and it is eternal like God. Mm -hmm. This idea would, God, would challenge God's independence, His sovereignty, and the fact that, that worship is due Him to Him alone. If matter existed apart from God, then what inherent right would God have to rule over it and use it for His glory? So that paragraph finishes off. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a big deal. God created out of nothing. I heard this joke one time. Uh, I don't remember the details. Maybe somebody else has heard it, but there was uh, evolutionists and somebody. So they were uh, they were arguing, and, and so he said, "Here, you got to create. You got to create something." And so the evolutionist gets down and starts throwing dirt together, and, and says, "No, create your own dirt. <laughs> you got to start with something." And and it, I, I thought I, I wish I remembered that in more detail because it, it you know it's it making a really neat point. Create your you got to start with nothing, and God started with nothing. Okay, that that's a great that's a great picture. Thank you for that because in in the book Grudem says what what if someday a scientist creates life in the laboratory? Right. He starts Just, with something. He starts with something, mm -hmm. not not independent. Yeah. Right. So everything. That we see everything that scientists work with, everything they've never created anything. It's always been there, There's and God that created everything. That makes the idea about Christ coming to the earth even more powerful. Hmm. The Spirit became flesh and dwelt among us. It, yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> it's incredible that condescension and that taking on flesh. Um, what is so in your how would you describe God's relation with the universe? Above <laughs> it. Okay. Creator of it, above it. Authority so, over it. Okay, so in Grudem's words he used some big theological words. Uh, if he's above it, he's omnipresent. <laughs> you know that? He's, he's omnipresent throughout uh, in the but world. Everywhere, yeah. So th there's an imminence to God being in the world and a transcendence yeah. beyond the world. Oh, yeah, those words. <laughs> so he, he pulled those out, and those those are helpful. Uh, so we, we in our in our previous study we saw that uh, God created time. Uh, God God created um, all things. There was a there was. So whatever's been created, God is, is, is beyond it or outside of it or transcendent over it. So He can't be contained by it. Can't be contained by it. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, there's different images of that. If we think about this universe as a tent, God is outside the tent. <laughs> okay, transcendent. And think about matter and time and space. God, God was there before any of that was. And so he's got a special relationship with, so he's transcendent, but Grudem also brings out the idea that he's imminent. Mm. And he's, he's in creation in some sense. Not in a pantheistic sense where creation is God, but you can't go anywhere in this world where you won't be in God's presence. Mm -hmm. 
Because even in reality, anything that's created, God gave that person the ability to create it in a sense too, like, you know, the brains or the know-how or the ideas, the, you know, the person who created the machines, you know, so in reality, everything that you look at in retrospect is created by God. It's derived from something he made. That's right. Um, yeah, this, this, this board here, these lights, uh, that's stunning to think about. Everything that we look at, it, see, if, if our, even our use of our eyes, but everything we see in this room, God is responsible ultimately for it in some ultimate sense. Mm -hmm. Now, we can use matter for wrong things or evil things, but uh, that's, that's exactly right. Uh, so his relationship with creation, how, how, how might you put that into your own words? Maybe I just said it. <laughs> uh, the end was that for sure. Um, uh, totally responsible. Okay, totally responsible for it. Uh, it, it he's delegated that responsibility. We're stewards Amen. of what he's created. We're stewards, that's right. And we can dis, you know, pollute it, and despoil it, and use it up poorly. Or we can you know, manage so, it. In so a that's way a delegated authority. It is. Yeah. He still has the ultimate authority. Oh, yeah. He still has the final say. He's going to get rid of it eventually. <laughs> <laughs> create a new one. <laughs> I was reading to, today in my study, by the way, I never thought of this stuff, but I thought there were two pillars when God was leading those Israelites in the wilderness. I always thought of the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. Well, some author said, no, there's scripture to suggest, and I read the scripture, I can't remember where it is, but it was one pillar. And then somebody else wanted to suggest that, yeah, it was one pillar, it was fire on the inside and cloud on the outside, and that was so that the cloud could provide some cool and shelter in the daytime, and then at night, the fire showed up to give them light so they could function, so they could continue to travel, and also to give some warmth if it got too, too cold. <laughs> And then this guy just went off on him. cloud and fire. That was really kind of cool. The way that Grudem would talk about it, page uh, 343, uh, his words are much uh, neater, uh, tighter than mine for sure. Creation, the letter B, creation is distinct from God, yet always dependent on God. And then, then he gets into some models about uh, some, some of the things that are, some of the models that are wrong. Uh, and even, even that, that paragraph there, um, I think, yeah. Can somebody read the, the last paragraph on 343? about the relationship between God and creation is unique among the religions of the world. The Bible teaches that God is distinct from his creation. He is not part of it, for he has made it and rules over it. The term transcendent is often used to say that God is much greater than creation. Very simply, this word means that God is far above the creation in the sense that he is greater than and independent of creation. Okay. Does that, does that make sense? Any questions on that? And so then he turns around the, ne the next page, 
God is also very much involved in his creation, for it is continually dependent on him for its existence and its functioning. The technical term used to speak of God's involvement in creation is the word imminent, meaning remaining in creation. The God of the Bible is no abstract deity removed from and uninterested in his creation. The Bible is the story of God's involvement with his creation, and particularly the people in it. So, imminence and trans transcendence, those are two really big and neat words to describe how God is involved with his creation. Over it, but involved in it. Uh, distinct from God, yet always dependent on God. And uh, so the... Uh, What's, what's, a, what's wrong with uh, materialism in, uh, from a biblical viewpoint? It denies the existence of God altogether. Yes. Could be wrong. It's, <laughs> yeah. Um, denies the existence of God altogether. And so pantheism... Um, what, what's what's uh, the problem with pantheism from a biblical perspective? It's on page 345. Say everything is God. Everything is God. So there's there it's not matters not distinct from God. Uh, dualism. What's the problem there? Satan, the same level as God. Yeah, there's all, and there's a lot of different kinds of dualisms in this world, a lot of different uh, philosophical dualisms. But in the Christian realm, we could say some people think that Satan and God are on the same, or Satan and Jesus are on the same level, and you know the angel on one shoulder and the devil on one shoulder, mm -hmm. and they're battling back and forth, equal powers. Who's going to win? The devil may do it. The devil made me do it. The devil beat out Jesus, <laughs> or, or something like that. What 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 do we learn? Uh, what, what's the biblical uh, perspective on that? In, in terms of evil and good. God created the world. Okay. God God created. So whatever in a Satan and a, and a demon, they're created beings, so they're on a much lower level than God. Mm -hmm. So we don't believe in a dualism. There's no other powers on God's level. There's no other authorities on God's level. All the principalities and powers are much lower, infinitely lower than God. Mm -hmm. Some of those those analogies. What was one of those analogies like? Like a drop in the ocean. Uh, God is. I, I can't remember. In the context of his attributes, um, I shouldn't have brought it up. <laughs> I can't remember but some of those 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 analogies he made. Uh, how much greater that God is than we are. Infinite dis distance or, or differences. Uh, deism. What's the matter with deism? The, the biblical view of creation versus deism. It's kind of like God created the world and he stepped back and, and let it do its own thing. He's not interested at all anymore. He, he went on to a different universe. <laughs> he, he started something that he doesn't care anymore. And so we are basically all alone. Uh, it's almost, it's pretty much a, a non-supernatural, there's no presence of God in the world anywhere. So we are left to our own devices. Okay. 
Uh, so we've already answered uh, the next question. Why did God create the universe? For His glory. For His glory. For his glory. Man, he's a self-centered guy, isn't he? No, oh, no, you can't say that. Because he's worthy of the glory. <laughs> he's perfect. Right? There's... I've heard it said that if God didn't claim who he was, we sure wouldn't. Oh, that's right. So he's claiming truth. And he's yeah. worthy of our everything. Absolutely. You can think of it also as it's that he created the universe to reflect his glory. Mm -hmm. For sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whenever you see a flower or uh, a cloud, that's somehow reflecting something of God's nature and character yeah. and its complexity and its beauty yeah. and all, all its work. I think the answer to that is nobody knows. <laughs> Why God created? Yeah. Suggest though that it, that it was for his own enjoyment. He yeah. desired. And it's also, I got picked up something there about God is creative. He had to create. It's just like when we get an idea to do something, it's just after. And does the Bible tell us why? Well, uh, this this uh, Bible verse right here on page 347 uh, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim his handiwork, day after day pours out speech, night after night reveals knowledge. There's a, you know, worthy are you, O Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they are existed. I, it doesn't really knock it out. Um, I think it's probably a deduction. Um, oh wait, uh, Isaiah 47, 43.7 up there. Whom I created for my glory, whom I, whom I formed and made. So there's, there's, all, there's an extension there to the whole universe. Um, uh, but but the point being is that that the universe didn't have to be made, which is pretty cool to think about. It, it, you know, like uh, in many ways, we, we didn't get to talk about it. Uh, I was sick last week, and I don't know if you're going to be here for the class or not last week. But one of the things, the the Trinity, uh, the idea that this 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 being, this three in one, uh, existed. Eternally, totally complete, totally sufficient, totally at peace, totally in love, totally without any needing anything. And that, that's pretty wild to think about. But the idea that God did make something of uh, His creative power, His love overflowing, uh, these kind of things, it turns this life into something uh, of, of splendor and wonder, doesn't it? That this doesn't have to be here. Like, like you see a painting on a wall and nobody had to make that and because someone created it and put their time and energy to it and they poured their life into it, if, if you, it, it helps you look at it a different way that somebody dreamed that up or they emotioned it up or <laughs> you know, put it together. And so every one, everything we see in this creation, it just it inspires awe when we start thinking about like none of this had to be. That, that God wanted that silver sage out there <laughs> and that rabbit brush and those ants. <laughs> it's like, wow, why did he want that? Uh, his creation, his glory is on display. 
And I, I, that really helps me. That really helps me worship. To think about that that, that, that you know, Mount Blanca didn't have to be there. God wanted it there. Um, and even even to love people. You know, uh, art didn't have to be here, but God wanted art here. And so this is a, a splendor that I get to uh, thank God for and, and pray for and love. And, you know, I just, you start rolling down that hill of it doesn't have to be here, but God chose it to be here. And so we talk about even even ourselves, like I was knit together in my mother's womb and, and there's parts of me I don't like very much. <laughs> you know, or I wish I could be like that. Yeah. Or I wish I didn't have this issue or this problem. But God, God made me the way I am with my strengths and my weaknesses and it's like, wow, he had a purpose in it. Isn't that neat to think about? Just, just ponder on that, that uh, the eternal, almighty, infinite one ha has a, a, a purpose for every one of us. Maybe that's the answer why he created the universe. He had a purpose. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, he had a purpose. He had a purpose. And we, we think it's for, we can say it's for his glory, but what does that mean, really? I think that's your point, Don. It's, <laughs> right? Okay, you can say it's for his glory, but, <laughs> and, <laughs> or what does that lead to? He's got a purpose in it. People, people wonder why God could um, could create hell, send people to hell or whatever. Mm -hmm. but, but I've always wondered why on earth not did not only create the universe, why did He create Earth? Why did He create man? Why did He give a holy hood? It just amazes me that He gives a holy hood. <laughs> yeah. That's what amazes me. Yeah. <laughs> He didn't need us. He didn't. He didn't need nothing. He didn't need the sagebrush out there. He sure could have just started over when he must, when it all started messing up. He just time and re recreated it all better. He didn't have to yeah. come and sacrifice for us. He didn't have to come and sacrifice for us. I don't understand. Screw it up again. So he just, <laughs> you know. I always wondered why he made that ultimate sacrifice. He could have just said, hey, you know what? <laughs> Start fresh, you know? <laughs> why did he make that ultimate sacrifice for us? What we're, why are we so worthy? That's a great question, <laughs> really, when you think about it. Like, so God created something, and, and uh, when, when Adam sinned, you know, he could have he said, I'm done, I'm out of here, just <laughs> blow it up, right? But... The, re the whole biblical story of redemption is that he wasn't ready to throw away his creation. He wasn't ready to toss it out. He wasn't ready to junk it. And so he, 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 he wanted to redeem it. So that tells us again that creation matters to him. That, you know, the whole idea that God is making all things new. Uh, he, he's, he's, not, he's not stopping with, with he isn't. With the new, with this Supreme Court hassle right now. And according to the liberal media, half the world is, is upset and ready to, to burn it up. Yeah, all our institutions and the whole, you know, the whole place. It's just a good thing God didn't feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> well, but imagine if he had. Like, if, what if he would have said, oh, like, I'm going to wipe it out because, like, because it's not good or it's messed up. That would have been, like then he made a mistake. But yes. he can't because he's perfect. Yes. And but you so know, he, he did once, the he flood. Did. He did wipe it out. <laughs> well, he, well, but not totally. 
No, not totally. That, that's an important point. There was always a remnant. Right, and it's this whole idea of like, because we're gonna get it better, because that was always my plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so the the fall, the, the sin, was that was that did that take God by surprise? <laughs> so the, the, it's like this. There's this whole cosmic drama that's happened, right? This whole cosmic thing that's happened, like the creation, a fall, a, a recreation, and there's going to be an ultimate new earth. New earth, and, and all for His glory. <laughs> so where it all started in the garden. So with that, you know, idea, you know, of starting over. When, why Satan was even allowed in the garden is a question. You know, what if. The garden was good, and he had a relationship with Adam and Eve at the moment. Why was Satan even let in the garden? God made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Good yeah. question. Satan had to fall before Adam and Eve, right? He did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. was, was Satan a free will being? Mm -hmm. yeah, he was a created being. Mm -hmm. Right. He had he a had choice. He had angels, free will. God, Christ didn't die for angels. So once an angel chooses to step away, there's never redemption for an angel. Am I correct in that? As far as we know. I mean, yeah. that's interesting that angels have no second chance. It's not in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Hebrews. Is, uh, Hebrews 1, 2, right there. Hebrews? Uh, well, in terms of the creation of the angels, mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the comparison of the sun, uh, that's what you're thinking about, right? In the Hebrews 1? Yeah, Hebrews 1, uh, where it talks about higher than the angels and all that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, it, it's, I think it's a deduction that we make. Because he... I don't think there's an actual, well, I mean, maybe there is in Hebrews 1. If, do, you, can, if, do you have a reference there? Mm -hmm. Is it uh, Hebrews 1, 5? What's read it? Sound superior to angels? That, it's, yes. uh, for like 15 verses or 16 verses, yeah. there it talks about the angels, how... For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I become your father. I will be his father, and he will be my son. And again, when... When God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and the servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. And that goes on for Okay, so that Hebrews probably, chapter 1 is probably just showing that Jesus is higher than the angels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, so we don't know for sure. There isn't probably a verse that says that, um, that definitively says Jesus didn't try to redeem angels. Yeah. Right? But I think that's Qualified. a deduction we can make. But let's not get okay. trapped in there. Go rabbit holes. <laughs> yeah, but, but the, the the wonder of creation is God had a plan and a purpose in it. Mm -hmm. Even 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 allowing sin to happen uh, to display His glory in some fashion, so that He would be worshipped. 
creation. Even before he started, even before he, he spoke the word of creation, and he already had a plan. So it's, it's, it's amazing, but uh, this, I, I just, it really helps me to think about the creation, the universe doesn't have to be here, so if it's here, it's a, it uh, just it helps me worship and helps me exalt in it, um, His glory. Uh, so this next, this next page, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it, because, uh, yeah, um, it's just, just to show you how uh, people have tried to, to bring science and religion together. Uh, this was a book that I had to read in seminary that kind of drove me nuts, but nevertheless, this uh, when science meets religion, enemies, strangers, or partners. And there's there's some really interesting and, and good points in there, but I tried to break it down into some different, uh, the, his four different categories. Uh, so, some people say that uh, science and religion will always be in conflict. There's no harmonization because they're, they're way, way uh, distinct. And in that first one, uh, like if there's a continuum, you know, so biblical, biblical literalism will be here, and, and uh, scientific, uh, you know, naturalism would be way over here. If I use the right term, um, materialism would be way over here, and in, in in between, there's different points along the line that uh, lend one end or the other, from conservative to liberal. Etc. Etc. Um, so that that's one idea that people have that no, we can never never agree on anything with scientists or sci scientism or theology or theology theism or anything like that. But then 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 there's other people say, well, there's the, there's a better model than conflict. There's maybe you should say they're independent realms. Uh, they, they focus on different domains. Uh, so science, science has its own language, its own function. They, science asks, asks different questions. Theology has its own language, its own function, and they ask different questions. So even though they, they don't, they don't, you know, they they don't have to conflict, um, but they don't really need to interact with each other either. And so there's there's people that have certain views like that. Then then uh, some say that theologians and science scientists should dialogue. Scientific method, for instance, scientific method arose from a belief that God created an orderly world that could be studied, whether in Islam or, or Christianity. Uh, the doctrine of creation set the stage for scientific, scientific activity. While there are differences in the field and different methodologies to find truth, scientists should discuss their findings with theologians, and theologians should give scientists interpretations on what the data means from the perspective of scripture. So at least they're talking. <laughs> We should talk theologians and should talk with scientists and scientists should talk with theologians. And then there's a, the one that he finds really interesting is integration of science and religion. Uh, scientific findings can be used to help theologians, art, theologians articulate a more accurate interpretation and understanding of the world, uh, which will help theologians interpret scripture better. Because the data says that the universe is fine-tuned for life, theologians can speak to the logical reason there's a creator or maker that is responsible. It can emphasize that there are more plausible ideas than spontaneous generation of life, etc. So that together they can come to the truth. So there's... That's you know, the only one that's very exciting. Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that leads to the, the bottom, uh, where Gruden went to. Uh, about their, how do the above models compare to the no final conflict of Francis Schaeffer? Um, let's, let's look at that real fast. Uh, 
351. So uh, Schaefer list on page 351 under number one there. When all the facts are rightly understood, there will be no final conflict between scripture and natural science. Uh, so he's got a list of things here that are possibilities, the one through seven. And, you know, um, different Christians have different views on those. Uh, the bottom of page 351, Schaefer makes clear that he's not saying that any of these positions are, is his own, only that they're theoretically possible. Schaefer's major point is that both our understanding of the natural world and the understanding of Scripture, our knowledge is not perfect. <laughs> but when we approach both scientific and biblical study with confidence that when all the facts are correctly understood, when we have understood Scripture rightly, our findings will never be in conflict, in conflict with each other. There'll be no, no final conflict. What, what's, his, what's the presupposition there or the, or the pre-understanding that allows him to make that statement? Like all the hidden things will be made known. Mm -hmm. oh, there's, there's all the hidden things will be made known, but maybe his, 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 his Francis Schaeffer's take on the world, well, what is his baseline worldview? God created it. God created it. So God created all the flora and fauna. God created everything. And so the scientific method, if it's done well, it will point to a creator eventually. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. okay. And if we interpret the Bible correctly, the Bible will not uh, steer us wrong about a creator, about, about how the world was made. So when it looks like there's a conflict, Either we are misinterpreting the Bible, or we're misinterpreting the science. Yes, but the one or the other. Yeah, mm -hmm. that, that's what the or both. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I was, I've been watching some videos, not because of this, just because I enjoy this kind of stuff, from Answers in Genesis. And Answers in Genesis, is, you know, they got the big ark in Kentucky and and all that. They put up. There's some good good documentaries on YouTube about that. I actually know one of the scientists that they had on there who was one of my teachers in school, but um, a creation scientist he is. Mm -hmm. But w one of the things that I find interesting is they say, look at the Bible, and then science all makes sense. But first look at the, the facts of the Bible, and then look at the science. And it all comes together. When you, when you look at it that way, instead of creating these own ideas in our heads, yeah. and then trying to make the science fit the Bible. But, I mean, and do, it, do the Bible first, yeah. and then it all makes sense. And, and, and Schaefer and Grudem would say, as long as you're interpreting the Bible correctly. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah, what Don just said, too, yeah, is... Yeah. So, so how, how, what was his example in this chapter about how we misinterpreted the Bible and it led, led to a faulty conclusion? The sun coming up and down. And we right. still say that today. Yeah. The sun came up. The sun goes down. From our no, it's not. We're yeah. spinning. It's, it's just, it's, yeah, it's a language we use to describe what we see. But the, uh, the, the sun-centered idea of the, of the universe or the, or the galaxy or the, or the solar system we, we read that into the Bible, where the Bible wasn't teaching that. Mm -hmm. You know, the scientists ought to, ought to do us the respect of... Uh, so I believe the Bible, but I'll maintain an absolutely open mind in terms of science, science and new scientific discoveries. 
Why couldn't they show us the same respect and say, I don't believe the Bible, I believe in science, but I'll maintain an open mind. Let's go where the facts lead. Mm -hmm. As much as we can establish the facts. We, we would all want, I think, open to Open minds. Yeah, we would <laughs> like, allow for, the, for there to be another cause of, of this. Why, so those of you who have been in classes or studied it, why won't scientists open that door? They can't. Right. Well, they don't want to. They have to admit no. to something else. Okay, yeah, I, I agree with, yeah, I mean, there, there's pride, uh, but, but, I mean, if, if there's, there's some really neat scientists out there that are wanting to integrate, wanting to dialogue, yeah. I mean, I think it's politics and stuff. Is it an absolute essential part of the scientific method? That's where, the, that's where the money is. It's vested interest. You lose, you would lose your position, you would lose your mm -hmm. endowments, you would lose your, your financial support. Can't go there. Well, okay, in, in, the current, in the current culture, if you want to have peer reviewed stuff, you, you, can't, you can't admit that you believe in a supernaturalism. You won't uh, get published, you uh, won't get promoted, but, you won't but get money. It, it is, is that view, is it all absolutely essential, essential to the scientific method that there can't be an outer, outer cause? Or a, Only as long as they define it that way, Jerron, but they have defined it that way. I know they've defined it that they way. They have to change their definition. Yeah, I, I want them to. <laughs> uh -huh. But, but I, I'm just, I just, if a scientist, you were sitting here tonight, we say, why would he say it's, it's essential not to allow an out, out, outside cause into the equation? Because it that's in authority. You would have to submit to authority. Mm. Well, you they would. doesn't get the glory. <laughs> yeah. Well, they don't get the glory. God gets the glory. Like, yes. They don't get the glory no more. If they opened it up to an outside source, then could they say something was ever really fact? Could it ever really be proven? And so then it, nothing, I don't know if they could ever really come to conclusion. And so if they can't, yeah. then they're just spinning and they don't like it. I think, I think, I think you're getting somewhere there because to do a, an experiment, it isn't, is, aren't things verified by um, repeating, like someone presents a finding and they put it to peer review uh, don't other other scientists have to validate that finding by by doing the experiment again? Well, sure. Science is supposed to be based on the scientific method, which right. is so all the variables have to. If, if it's going to be proven that uh, if I put you know this element and this this chemical together, that this reaction is going to take place, I can't have any other variables in place if it's going to be validated that that's. The outcome, you know. So, so I, I think for the methodology is that if, if we're going to have a, a, a provable outcome or, or verifiable, if we're going to verify the data, we, we can't let there be a question of of an outside influence. And so, the scientific method doesn't allow for an outside influence because then they can't reproduce uh, the the setting or the the all the variables to to verify a finding. <laughs> I'm talking in circles, but you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean the, the essence of 
the scientific method is something that's reproducible. Yeah. So when we're talking about creation, by definition, it's not yes. reproducible. Yeah. So, so you're using you know, scientific principles trying to extrapolate back and make all these judgments. And if you rule out any kind of supernatural influence or the presence of God, really it's just a lot of conjecture. You can't really clone anything to identicalness unless you're God, because nothing can be the same. No, you okay. can really do that. So yeah, you can't put that to a theory. Yeah. I so, don't think it will ever happen, but what would it do to us if science produced life from non-life? Well, it has to have something. Yeah, I think we, we talked about that earlier, that it would just, it, it wouldn't be the same as original creation because the scientists would use existing material okay. to, to put their stuff together. But so I think what, what Mark was saying there, it probably is helpful. Normal scientific procedures have to have reproducible... Yeah, you do it over and over. You do it over and over to, if it's a... It becomes it becomes a solid fact in their minds if, if anybody can take the same same experiment and produce the same results, right? Mm -hmm. But Mark is saying that in, when it comes to creation, scientists sh shouldn't uh, put the brakes on a supernaturalism because it's not repeatable. Mm -hmm. they, they shouldn't extrapolate mm -hmm. and say there's no way that there's a, a an outside force that created it because you can't it's yeah. you can't take the scientific method there yeah. right and that's why you know you had that one example of these two magisteria that don't overlap you know there's science and there's religion and they each have their own domains but that's really kind of a limited way of viewing it but the, the problem is when science extrapolates itself into uh, a, a thing like creation and, and wants to be definitive about things like that, which I don't think most people are, but that's where it gets real fuzzy, you know, not very clear. It does. So, uh, but I, I really uh, really like, I, I, I agree with uh, the Schaefer and Grudem, my, my simple mind, that if we know all the facts, and understand scripture correctly. You know, God, God wrote God wrote both books, the book of creation and the in the in the Bible, and they're gonna they're gonna they're they're gonna come together. Has anybody ever heard of Dave and Barbara Nutting, or the Alpha and the Omega Institute? Maybe they're out of Grand Junction, and as I recall their story, um, they were in college in the seventies. And they were atheists, and they went to the scientific realm to prove that there was not a God. And God revealed himself to them, and they're out of Grand Junction, and they now have the Alpha and Omega Institute. And through science, they're showing people God. Great. And uh, I don't know if, as I remember, they're a super solid organization. Dave and Barbara Nutting in Alpha and Omega Institute. I heard him speak a couple times at a church I was in years ago. About years ago. Sounds like a neat ministry. Um, so why does why does Grudem and so we get into some of the more uh, fun fun things now. Why does Grudem reject Darwinian evolution? 
Okay, great summary. It doesn't doesn't line up with the biblical teaching. I I think I think we could say that's Grudem's summary, right? Uh, So all those the the first like what was it the first eight chapters or whatever about the Bible, uh, Grudem labored, and I think we killed off some people that were trying to attend this class. He he labored to to show us that the Bible is authoritative and trustworthy. And and, and so his issue is that if the Bible is teaching that there is a creator and created things out of nothing, uh, Darwinian evolution doesn't fit what the Bible is teaching. I think that's a summary of his his viewpoint. So what is is Darwinian uh, evolutionary theory? Uh, I did a quick and dirty just outline here. And uh, please don't judge me, <laughs> but I, I I pulled it just from you know what Gruden was talking about. You could obviously write a whole books on this thing. So so the the neo Darwinian. So the adjustments since uh, since Darwin came about, and he he postulated certain things about the origins of life. There's been a lot of adjustments and, and a lot of uh, refinements uh, to Darwin's original theory. But so. Uh, Billions of years ago, chemicals existed which spontaneously produced a very simple life form. Okay, so uh, maybe if the Earth is, is four and a half billion years old, uh, five billion years old or something like that, at some point there's all these chemicals that, uh, so take the Big Bang Theory, uh, you know, a star, 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 a star came together one, at one point in time, the star went through all its, all its emanations and it blew up, and the matter went out again, and at some point, all these minerals that were formed in the star, these elements formed in the star, they came together in a planetary form eventually. Okay? And so the planetary form was called Earth, and there's all these chemicals that existed, and, and because of gravity, because of all kinds of uh, uh, physical processes and uh, physical realities, chemicals coalesced, and, and they, they came to be mixed together in some fashion that suddenly, at some point, given the right environment and the right setting, a cell came forward, or a group of cells came forward. A very simple form of life, okay? Um, this, this one-celled creature you know, reproduced, and cells divide, uh, you know, they multiply that way. Uh, but as, as this happened, Mutations came about, changes came about in the DNA, in the structure of the cell, in, in the information of the cell. However, you want to, you can put that very precisely if you wanted to, but we're just, you know, broad brushing it here. <laughs> so changes came about in the life form that that most of the changes resulted in the death of the cell or they didn't reproduce, but some changes carried on in, in, in some of the the lines that followed, and some were very beneficial, fitting the environment better than others. And while most of the life died, or wasn't, didn't pass on their, their genes, didn't pass on their DNA, there's some that did, and, and over, over hundreds of millions of years, uh, the changes that, that came about through mutations in the environment, the environment kind of selected the mutations that were positive, and through that, uh, new forms of life came. Okay, new forms of life came, 
And men, most of the life forms die, but there's, there's many, many that developed into greater and greater complexities as they branched off, you know, from, from original forms. And um, so natural selection plus mutation plus billions of years plus chance equals life as we know it. And mo most, of, most of the life that's ever existed doesn't exist anymore because it's all died off or it's all been selected out of existence. And it came into existence kind of suddenly and it, dis and it disappeared kind of suddenly. And the biggest problem Darwin had was the fossil record that didn't exist. That's one of the, that's one of the evidences that Grudem gives why he doesn't believe in Darwinism. One of Darwin's uh, evolutionary evidences was these birds that got larger beaks Turns out, a later explanation of that was, when they had a dry season and, and there was drought, the, bird, the seeds that the birds lived on got harder. And the birds had to develop bigger beaks to crack those seeds to stay alive. So they got bigger during those dry years, or, or, and then they got smaller again when, it, uh, when they had normal amounts of rain. That was evolution. Microevolution, right? Microevolution. Micro That's yeah. what yeah. Grudem suggests. Um, but not species to species. Well, never. <laughs> you know, the other part in the whole evolutionary story that doesn't match up, mesh up with biblical accounts of creation is just the violence in nature. You know, this whole principle of death and survival of the fittest and it doesn't seem like you would bless that and call that good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. Like uh, uh, there was uh, some some there's some species of uh, wasps. Don't they lay their larvae? Like they implant yeah. their larvae and other bugs and, and the bugs yeah. eat from the inside out. Right. And did God make that <laughs> kind of a deal? And uh, I think I think Grudem has a, a response to that, but it, it doesn't appear very. Good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we look at creation as a reflection of God's character, and then you look at some of the things that are in, you watch these nature programs, it's kind of horrific, you know. Turn away, kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where did I, I write, I wrote it down, I finally found out why, why there's mosquitoes. Uh, the birds. Uh, uh, God, on page 377, um, second paragraph down, talking about after the fall, God, God sent a curse and uh, he gave, you know, thorns and thistles, um, the earth's going to bring forth thorns and thistles. So Groom says, God's statement that the ground would now produce thorns and thistles is best understood as a common feature in biblical speech, which two or three concrete examples represent an entire category of things. Taken this way, God's words of judgment... Uh, after Adam and Eve's sin, means that the earth would not only produce thorns and thistles, but also harbor insects that would destroy crops, diseases that would consume them, foraging animals that would eat crops, floods and droughts, tornadoes and hurricanes, all of which would make farming difficult and life precarious. So Adam and Eve's sin brought about mosquitoes. <laughs> Did Adam and Eve sin bring about wind also? <laughs> I think it yeah. Yeah. We would say amen. Yeah, wind. <laughs> Had to. But anyway, it's, it's yeah, Mark, that, that's really a, a wild deal there. Um, 
So uh, that, that um, survival of the fittest, natural selection, it's, it's really brought about a uh, life from, from a naturalistic point of view. Uh, all the objections that he has, uh, page 340-54 through 365, <laughs> everybody get through those? Uh, was, was there any, any that you found very, that you like, oh, that, that's, that's junk, or was there any that you thought were extremely well said uh, against Darwinism, neo-Darwinism? Well, one of the curious things is for the, uh, the books I've got, uh, where they're following the uh, genetic makeup of different organisms, and you can see various uh, genes that are non-functional that get carried on. So that you know, and he makes a point in here that you know, hey, yeah, we may be 99% the same genetic makeup as a chimpanzee, but obviously people are distinctly different. From, from chimpanzees, but you can, you can see deactivated genes in, in lower uh, animals that are present in humans. And you can see vestigial organs. I, the only way I can rationalize that it's the same creator. They use some of the same plans for the next organism. Um, but you know, it does carry along some things maybe we don't perfectly understand. Uh, how all the genes work. I mean, a lot of the DNA we call, quote, junk DNA, meaning we don't even know what it does yet. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a, an arrogant attitude. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> junk but, DNA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I do think, you know, within, we need to be careful not just disparage the science, but when people are looking at these common genetic makeups of organisms and kind of they can piece together this pathway that could have developed, it also could have been distinct creation of the, the, the various organisms, and yeah, they had very similar genetic makeups. Well, and, but uh, it's funny because you can also have like the reverse argument, whereas like a, you know, some kind of creature was created for a purpose, but um, maybe because of different things that have happened, like, okay, uh, droughts or, yeah. you know, yeah. like, so then some of their, some of their genetic content isn't important anymore, yes. and so it, like, non-functional. you're right, so it stops yeah. functioning, so there's remnants of it, but it's yeah. no longer activated because it's not needed, or, yeah. like, eyesight in some of the different you know, animals that live in pure darkness, mm -hmm. like, they don't need the eyesight, you know, so you can kind of go both ways a little mm -hmm. bit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we have a lot, a lot of questions still. Mm -hmm. And so we need to be maybe... Uh, gracious. Gracious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but there, there ultimately is an explanation. Mm -hmm. that, that, again, getting back to that final solution, Although it says when God creates the new heaven and earth, there'll be no memory of the past. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, I, think, I think my, uh, I, I really enjoyed reading this chapter. And um, what, what was most interesting for me was uh, all the information it takes to run a cell. 
all, all of the so when when the spontaneous generation of a of life came, how how did suddenly all that information that that runs the different parts of a cell or or, or tells a certain structures in the cell to do do this or that? Where did that come from? I, I really struggle with, with with that whole idea that it, it all happened by accident and chance. So that's one of the biggest arguments for me that I, I could never. I can never um, fully embrace evolution or, or even embrace Darwinian evolution at all if that's the starting point. Mm -hmm. And, and if, I, if it's just the complexity there of a single cell that it came about with all the instructions in place. It's not like, yeah, you put together a bunk bed before. <laughs> Without the instructions. <laughs> Without the instructions? I mean, with the instructions, I, I want to choke somebody. <laughs> Doesn't that kind of give like you know, natural instincts that just come upon you know each species, you know, just to eat, to, you know? Where did that come from? You know, just like a human has their instincts when they're hungry, when they're tired, or just like you know, even in a mother or a pack to protect, to feed their young. Or to, you know, you think about that. Just even you know, we have animals, you know as pets and stuff, but there is a natural instinct gift of an animal. She's going to naturally protect her young. She's going to feed her young. She's going to know because there's natural instincts, just as a mother would care for a child in any species. You know, those are just given. Those are not something they're taught, you know. So, yeah, there has to be something that gives them all that, you know, there's no reason to fear because they do nothing but love the animals. Just as you can tell, the deers that come up to my yard, and the, if there's nothing to fear, why should they fear? God taught us nothing but love. We we became absent. We teach. Yeah. You know, so yeah, that it, that whole theory with the science behind that too. It's it goes. You can't. You can't there is no other way except it's all under that one. Command. Some, something has to control that whole process of that beginning of that creation. That, yes, that soul. Yeah. I, I think some of the mechanisms that, that we observe that we don't even think about that are pretty complex. So you develop in utero. You get all your your nutrition, all your oxygen from your mother, and all of a sudden you're whipped out into the world and you breathe and get all your oxygen, yet that just flips over. And, and then your nutrition comes orally. So, I mean, there's a lot of things, to, it's hard to imagine how something like that just develops. It sure is. The, uh, the instructions in place for that to happen yeah. are beyond, beyond the bunk bed. Take a lot of trials before you come up with that plan. Yeah. Man, yeah. <laughs> And that, that lends itself into the whole the whole idea of a irreducible complexity that, that's talked about in, in here. That if you if you have all kinds of systems in place in a single cell, if you if one of those changes through mutation, it's going to throw the whole ball and wax out of whack. And so the idea of the irreducible irreducible complexity is that if something's going to become a new life form. There, there has to be incredible amounts of simultaneous mutations that take place for that, that thing to function differently than it did before. 
Um, I, I just, when you start running down this road, um, I, I'm very content saying that uh, I, I can't believe in, in a world that's come about by chance. She's living proof of it. Yeah? The doctor said she'd never make it out of the room. Doctor said she needed to be avoided and everything because there was no chance she'd make it out of the room. She's going to be 38. 38? Next month in June. Yay! And there is no other explanation. No doctors, no highest of Texas Children's Houston medical genetics field couldn't even give her a quote diagnosis to receive benefits for nine years of her life. But there was only one person who knew how to control her life. So yeah, there's, there's, there's proof and you know, we always thank God, my brother and I always thank God for her. Life was a whole new meaning. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, main reason why uh, Grudem rejects theistic evolution? Again, it didn't match up with the Bible. And wasn't that the ten chapters even in the New Testament that didn't, that didn't work out? Yeah. It, it even... Yeah. I can't remember why, but... Can't figure out why... Can't we just summarize it? Man can't beat the God. <laughs> What are you going to say, Don? I can't figure out why Christians want to try so hard to take God out of the whole process. I don't understand that at all. They, can, they must have a God that's way too small. Mm -hmm. he, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I, I agree. Uh, God, uh, I think David said it, uh, the teachings of Scripture don't support theistic evolution. And theistic evolution, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just uh, start here tonight and we'll talk more about it next time. But uh, uh, page 366, uh, the definition that he has there, um, God created matter, and this is what theistic evolution says, God created matter and after that did not guide or intervene or act directly to cause any empirically detectable change in the natural behavior of matter until all living things had evolved by purely natural processes. So, in, 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 to say that in, in, in my terms, <laughs> evolution, theistic evolution says, evolution is real, God used evolution to bring about his purposes, or his plan. Okay? So, uh, in, in our church before, we've definitely had people that believed in theistic evolution, and um, it's been interesting talking with them, and, but they want to hold on, as Don was saying, hold on to the idea of evolution, and they want to bring God into it. Mm -hmm. And I think usually, it's usually the idea, it starts with evolution is true, but I want to have a, I want to believe in a God, so I want to try to bring them together in some, some sense. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you're pretty much making God small. Like he isn't God. Making him fit your your, your ideas or what you were taught. Or <laughs> yeah. There's it isn't this always under Satan's schemes to create doubt. Mm -hmm. To create because when we start when we start going down that those other paths, we we starting to create doubt in our mind. The enemy is starting to create doubt mm -hmm. in our mind. 
that God is big enough. That He is powerful enough. He needs our help. Amazing. That lady talked about is amazing. She prefers the term instead of theistic evolution. She prefers the term evolutionary creation. So they really want to emphasize the creation part of it rather than the evolutionary part of it. Whereas theistic evolution, evolution is the last word. Uh, so they want evolutionary <laughs> creation. I can't figure out the difference. <laughs> so I was thinking, what's the difference? <laughs> so, amen. So we'll, we'll run down that path a little bit of, of uh, looking at some of the critiques of theistic evolution, because it is a very popular thing these days. And then we'll talk, we'll get into the age of the earth mm -hmm. next time. And that's, mm -hmm. that's probably, uh, uh, you know, one of the most contentious things in... Gruden changed from his first edition to this edition on that particular subject. Yeah. And uh, as we get into that next week, it's, it's in his mind, it's a secondary issue. So that's something you might have to think about, too. Is it a primary issue or a secondary issue uh, informing your faith? So, um, let's see. I, you know, one of the things we've gotten away from, I, I didn't even look at the songs in the back. <laughs> and I don't think I recognize either of these. <laughs> oh, the contemporary one's good. Is it? Yeah. Oh, there you go. No, it's <laughs> indescribable. It's a good one. Okay, like, so, uh, can anybody sing that one? Can anybody get that from the highest of heights? I can't sing. <laughs> Indescribable, uncontainable, you place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing God. All powerful, untamable, awestruck we fall to our knees as we humbly proclaim. You are amazing God. <laughs> Have you heard, ever heard that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've heard it before. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Tomlin. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, Lord, we do we do acknowledge you are the creator, and uh, you made it intentionally. You spoke it into existence. We acknowledge that you're the you're the one who's responsible for it all, out of nothing. Uh, there's nothing compares to you. There's no rival gods. There's no rival authorities. You are you are distinct and alone and, and above all things, transcendent. And yet, thank you, Lord, for loving us, and thank you for being concerned about your creation, and and you have a purpose and a plan for your creation and us. Uh, Lord God, we, we praise you and thank you for, for that knowledge. It gives us great comfort and joy knowing that you wanted us here and we're here on purpose. And uh, you have a plan for whatever happens with Putin or with <laughs> politics or <laughs> all the other things that stress and strain us out. We know that you are sovereign and you're going to take this world to your appointed end. Uh, we trust you with that, Lord, and thank you and praise you. Help us to keep growing in this, these, these, these doctrines and for your glory, for your fame, for your purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.